On this week's edition of the Marvel of Horror, me and my guests will be discussing Ari Aster's 2019 folk horror classic, Midsommar, a story about a young girl who recently lost her family and her friends venturing over to Sweden to partake in some summertime rituals, celebrating the pagan festival Midsommar, and they get a little bit more than they bargain for. Make sure you like and subscribe. We want to hear from you, so leave your feedback and comments below. All right, here we go. So I gotta ask, what was your first experience, or like, what what was it that made you both like, if not fans, or appreciate like the horror genre? Was it a movie? Was it an experience? A book? We were we were talking about this the other day. For me, kind of like the first horror experience I remember is um, the original Pet Cemetery. Nice, um, very I, nice. I, I, I could not. <laughs> I would have to hop on my bed. <laughs> Uh, throughout my childhood, because I thought, I think the character's name was Gage, the little yeah. kid. I thought he was under my bed with a little scalpel. And um, I don't know, I just think, you know, as someone who's a, a, an actor and a writer now, just like how powerful my imagination was back then. And mm -hmm. I truly, truly believed this undead child was under my bed <laughs> to slice my Achilles tendon and eat my throat. Oh. Um, it terrified me for years. For oh, years, yeah. for well, years, it terrified me. I gotta say, a horrifying movie, and I saw <laughs> it too, way too young. <laughs> me too. A horrifying me movie. too. And you're probably the, you're probably one of the only few people that I've talked to. I was like, yeah, Pet Cemetery. Yeah, Gate scared me. Everyone's like, oh my god. I thought Zelda was just gonna come after right. me. The, the, the woman in the bed. I think yeah. it's like a uh, male a man actor plays that character. Right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's what terrified me. Oh, is that, that the, the older woman? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh god. Well, she was terrified. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> also, the um, I can't remember his name. Is it? It's like Paxcaf or something. The the guy. Pa yeah. Paxcan uh, or something. The, the jogger. The yeah. Exactly. The exactly. Killed, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't know. For me, that was um, a defining horror moment. That was a defining horror moment. But what about you? Uh, I have so definitely films. I'm trying to think of like if there was a. Uh, an initial experience but yeah I remember there's three films I remember watching The Grudge with my cousin that was like we were obsessed with that movie I've seen it probably 20 plus times and then The Ring I was coming up when uh, The Ring came out of course that one was nightmare level I was seeing that girl in the closet for like Samara uh, yeah I was seeing her for like weeks. Nightmares. I would just have these nightmares of her like crawling out of the well and coming in, and I'd wake up with my heart. And when was that? Was that like the early aughts when that was yeah. coming out? Because that's yeah. when they a bunch of those films were experimenting with that quality of movement. Oh, that, yeah. yeah that, that was like terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah. I mean, guess what? They film, yeah. so they Broken film it bones. backwards, right? Or they film it something, mm. is that what they And, do? and then they play it backwards so it has it that weird so quality, kind of like they did that. Um, with Twin Peaks too, I remember, and they were in the red, the red room. Yeah, I think it was also ter What was like so interesting about the ring is it was terrifying to think that you could become haunted or cursed by just watching something without yeah. even knowing. Because we're in this age where we're you know starting to consume all this content. Streaming services yeah. are eventually going to come out. Beware. And so yeah, it was. Yeah. And so that brings me to my third like horror staple that I think developed me into a horror nerd was Stay Alive 
Frankie Muniz, Sophia Bush, Jimmy I've Simpson. Seen I've never seen that. Two thousand six. It's video games, and um, the video game starts to like happen in real life. So if they okay. die in the video oh. game, it will happen to them in real life. And so then they have to hunt down like whoever's you know haunting this video game and like stab her in the heart with a stake or something, like burn it down. And yeah, and so that that was. So that was 2006. I think that was my first scary movie in a theater. Okay. And I remember I was hooked after that. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Give me all these. See, I love it. I love, uh, I love that terminology, hooked. Because, yeah, I just, obviously, I've been hooked for yeah. a long time. So, Midsommar. Yeah. Right? 2019. Folk horror classic, as I'd like to call it. Ari Aster, written, directed. What was your first initial reaction seeing Midsommar? When, like, the first time you ever saw it, what did you really think? I, like me, I think Midsommar was a movie that I liked it when I first saw it, but it, multiple viewings made me enjoy it like that much Even more. Because there's more things I caught, and I think I was coming fresh off of seeing like Hereditary, and Hereditary was just like pure nightmare fuel. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. When I saw Midsummer, I was like, oh, okay. This I'm not as scared as I was and I was really right. anticipating it. But what'd you think when you first initially saw it? I agree, you know, especially when you've seen Hereditary first, which is as soon as her head hits that pole. And oh. even before that, you know, it's just like you know what you're in for, you know, yeah. and, and it's just like horror and possession till the end. And with Midsummer, I yeah, I remember there was like a slower horror build, um, but the end just shocked me. Like, yeah. I just remember being so struck by the visual elements of, you know, just that whole end with the bear suit and all the people that are died and turned into these things. Like, I just was shocked by how the visuals were yeah. uh, really informing the horror aspect of it for me. But yeah, I agree. I was kind of like watching the film, like, okay, I'm not so scared yet. Yeah, it, it was it was more of a slow burn, I think, than Hereditary. Mm -hmm. And I'm just trying to think of like, because uh, uh, we were saying a minute ago, like how uh, Ari Aster, the themes of uh, family and grief are kind of present yeah. throughout. So I'm trying to think like, what is different? And there's something about like, Hereditary is like contained, right? In this house, yeah. in this family. Whereas Midsummer is like really expansive, yeah. Right. They're literally traveling. It's and there's this, all these characters that are coming all in. All these characters. And so I feel like I, I felt similarly to the two of you. And I think maybe it had something to do with that. Whereas like mm -hmm. hereditary at first, it's it's immediately scarier. It's a little easier to metabolize because it's it's like a smaller scope of, mm -hmm. of, of a story. Yeah. At, until the end. Right. Um, so maybe maybe <laughs> maybe that has something to do with my initial reaction to Midsummer too, is just like it was so large. That I'm trying to grasp at things, but but it did yeah. have that slow burn, and um, there is something like Midsummer is a little scarier to me upon multiple viewings because um, it feels a little more real, like it like it could actually happen. Yeah, I in think, real life, I think that's a really so. I think horror movies what I would like to see horror movies touch on is when you go to a different country. There's different rules and different cultures yeah. and just different things going on that, you know, I, mean, I think I like how that movie kind of plays on that. It's kind of like, okay, well, we're going to, I mean, you can see the one guy, he's got 
was it Will Poulter who yeah. has a very punchable face to me. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in that nice movie. guy in real life. Yeah. He's like, okay, I'm going to Sweden. It's going to be like, yeah. you know, hot things. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's acting like he's going to like Cancun and spring break when he's really going to Sweden and it's like nah it's not like that at all it's yeah like you're actually encroaching on someone's culture that they take very seriously yeah. <laughs> right and yeah like I, that's a that's a thing like traveling to different parts of the world it's like you could that's a scary situation uh, this is real yeah those, those real life horror situations really uh interest me and I'm thinking of like Brittany Griner in Russia and the hashish yeah. oil uh, capsule and stuff that we take for granted here but yeah you're in another country, and all of a sudden, you're in a real life horror movie. Yeah, yeah but it's no one your life. Like, and no one's going to protect you. What was it? Uh, was it like the early '90s? I forget his name. But what did he go to Singapore and spray paint or something? Yeah, and, and, and he beat him. Yeah, caned him. They caned him. Yeah, that was that, that was like oh a, that was, yeah, as part of his release. Yeah. Like, oh, we're just going to beat you with cane. We're going to yeah, spray paint here. Just, and it's like, what? But I'm American. Yeah, we don't care. Not being aware of things. <laughs> and, well, we were saying too on the the drive over here, just the idea of how shocking it is in Midsummer them jumping off the cliff. Yeah. But yeah. then, you know, kind of like if uh, putting the magnifying glass on our culture and what are some things, you know, if aliens came down and looked down at things we do, that would be horrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that that we do, or whether it was, you know, I don't know, like circumcision or right. our relationship in this country to guns or whatever, right? I feel like mm-hmm. someone looking from the outside in could be like, that's a real life. I think, movie. yeah. Well, I think that happens like every day across like, the country. Like we, I mean, we kind of like... You know, if if we were to go to Saudi Arabia, we'd be like, "What? Yeah, no way, right? No, you don't live like this." And they'd be looking at you like, "What's your problem?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, this is this is our life. Well, and it's so funny. Think I'm like thinking this now, but especially because Midsummer is, you know, about the the cult aspect, and you know, we've looked into cults so much because we're obsessed. Um, but the idea that they, you know, kind of like systematically desensitize you to the violence in Midsummer's case or the manipulation in other cults cases. And the movie does that to you, you know, because in that first scene, you do kind of, it's shocking, but you do get this look into her family and how they all died and how her sister committed suicide. And it's brutal when they show you with her having that you know, tube oh, taped to her face. Yeah. yeah, very haunting image. Yeah. Right from the get-go in that movie. And then they just kind of like, it, it's tamer for like 30 minutes or even more until the elders jump off the cliff. Yeah. And then they have it right in your face. They're like banging a hammer. It's so gory and it's so brutal, but they've just been kind of like putting these little violent pieces in throughout the end you don't even realize what you're consuming and how desensitized you're becoming to it yeah and he did he does a really good job so like i said i watched it i watched some of it last night and i've seen it a couple of times he does a really good job of like kind of putting in these little side stories just to swerve you yeah so when this stuff really like the you know you're kind of focused on their relationship her and her boyfriend her and her boyfriend and then you kind of he takes you on a little side story about uh the boyfriend and the one friend and their thesis how he's basically just going to copy all yes yes and it's just there to swerve you and then get you when you're not thinking about it right right he's very smart with that it's very cool it's really expert but yeah i'm realizing we love to talk about form reflecting content Mm -hmm. so when you're making a film 
how are you structuring the audience's viewing experience as a direct reflection of the literal content that you're making it about, which is this cult. And he does, he does do that. Yeah. He like eases you in until you get to the end and you're kind of like, well, there wasn't really anything else to do. This yeah. had to be done this way. And that makes us feel like Florence Pugh? Yeah. yeah. It Florence makes us Pugh. feel like Florence Pugh's character, right? Like getting like slowly sucked in. Yeah. And desensitized yeah. to things. Yeah. And it's also like now that I'm like kind of thinking back on it too, I don't know how much it plays into the story, but like the, to me, like when I think about the end and how it ends, it's almost like, okay, here's that, here's that final stage. Like, okay, she's, here's that final stage of grief too. Yeah. Acceptance. She's just accepting this. Yeah. Now. I think, you know what I mean? Like, that kind of plays into, like, the, her whole story about the, losing her family and not probably trying to deal with it this whole trip. Right. And, yeah, you know, yeah like, the whole, like, accept, okay, well, I just accept it now. now yeah. I'm queen and... Well, we were talking about on the on our drive um, that, and I realized this, the time we most recently watched it, it didn't quite land for me the first time I watched it. But the whole film, you know, she's experiencing these traumatizing things with her family dynamic. Obviously, her entire family is now dead and she's going to Sweden. And her boyfriend, who's like going to break up with her in the beginning, is just not present for her. Not emotionally available, mm. not really like holding her. It's all kind of pretense. Um, and so the whole film, she's not getting the support she really needs from what is supposed to be her family. And then at the very end, you know, she becomes May Queen and then she goes and she sees her boyfriend uh, supplying his seed um, <laughs> and she has a panic attack and all the women with her like go through that panic attack with her and you see what it gives her. Like you see her get something out of it that she hasn't gotten this whole time in this relationship. And so yeah. Somehow, in the end, you're like, wait, it's actually kind of beautiful that she's found this community and this kind of support that she hasn't been able to find, even though, you know, it's a really brutal way. Well, and yeah. that goes back to our, our interest of, of cults in general, just this idea that pe people want to belong. People need to know they, they matter. And um, if society or your family isn't providing you with this very necessary feeling, like, yeah, it's very human to like need to go seek that in other places exactly and yeah and that's why like you know, talking um going back to our conversation earlier that's why i think cults are so terrifying yeah because you know you don't have to be oh you gotta be stupid to get sucked into a cult no you know. don't smart people with the best intentions absolutely always get sucked into cults and that's Cults are very terrifying. Yeah. You can be easily led astray. And often, no how smart you are, folks, folks who get sucked into cults, or uh, a way I really empathize with them, are people who are often uh, really smart, questioning things at a vulnerable, sensitive time in their life, maybe at a time of transition. And I feel like I've been in that point in my life many times. And so I'm like, yeah, I would get sucked in. <laughs> I would get sucked in the multiple. Yeah, multiple I think cults. you know, depending on you know, depending on where I was in my life. And what they were selling, yeah. I, I'm not too, I'm not too, I mean, right now I kind of, like, like right now I'm not to get too, too off the uh, beaten path, but I mean, I, I see, I see the two political parties might as well be cults now. Yeah. They operate the same to me. Right. It's like, you know Well, I mean? it's that question of like, what, what is a cult? Where, where's, where's the line? What, uh, yeah. when does a religion become a cult? When does a political party become a cult? Because there, there are definitely uh, elements 
within the political parties that are, I feel like, straight up cults. Yeah, uh, exactly. But, but where is that line? I don't know. I, I don't have the answer to that. I don't yeah. know either. And I, I still, honestly, I think we're still seeing that kind of play out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's an element, there, there is an element of uh, an unquestioned leader or unquestioned leaders. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very, I mean, there are these characteristics cutting off uh, from family or reality, mm-hmm. an unquestioned uh, leader or head of the, the group. Yeah. It's like you said, when does the line, where, where's the line from just tribalism to be in cult? Yeah. Where is it? You know what I mean? It's kind of, it's, it's starting to get kind of blurred in my eyes yeah. as far as like, you know, political parties and stuff and ideas and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, cults, they are, and I don't know, I don't know if it's just me, but there, there seems to be a very new fascination with cults. Yeah, like Cults are the new serial killers. They are kind of popping up left and right. They're popping up left and right. Like Netflix is making a killing off of like cult documentaries. documentaries. We've seen them all. Yeah, we should have stock in them because we watch them on repeat. (laughs) Yes. I read this book and this is off of uh, Max Cutler's uh, The Clean Podcast about cults. So I read this book and there was, you know, obviously I kind of knew a lot about Waco and the Manson family and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. But yeah, I didn't hear some of these cults that are in this book. I'm like, oh my. God, this has really happened. One of them was like the uh, the narco Satanists. I don't know if you've ever heard. Oh, I don't know the narco Satanists. Look into the. Uh, I don't know the, all the specifics, uh, like dates and times and stuff like that. But the uh, the narco Satanist, yeah, that was a uh, that was a drug leader cult. But the guy really was like really thought he was like a voodoo witch. And wow. Went through his process of getting his. Uh, I forget what it's called. There's a term for it, but he basically got his witch's cauldron which is supposed to be magic. And I, like, it's a big ceremony when you get to the rank of having your own cauldron. cauldron. Yeah. And yeah, he was, I mean, he was killing people and cooking them all, oh, burying people, a lot of, like Kevin, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. I'm pretty sure it was like in Mexico and South America, but yeah, this guy had a huge death count. And a lot of followers. I forget his name, but yeah, the narco Satanists. Narco Satanists. But I'm yeah, I'm reading some of these, and I'm like, you know what? Well, for me, I grew up a kid in the '90s. It, Heaven's Gate was the cult. Yeah, that kind I of do remember Heaven's my childhood Gate. with the Nikes and the all black and the shaved heads. Um, that's what I don't know where I came into my cultish consciousness. A very successful cult from a standpoint of like member buy-in, like Heaven's Gate. Yeah, because they did the thing that they were trying to do, which was all yeah go go on the Hillbop Comet. On yeah, supposedly yeah. <laughs> um, and so that entire group, save for you know a few who filtered off through the yeah. years bought in enough to go through with that mass suicide like that is some powerful rhetoric that's very yeah. powerful yeah adolfo de jesus constanzo and the narco satanists miami native that. yeah that'll be that'll be netflix's <laughs> next, next documentary. series when they're done uh, promoting uh waco yeah <laughs> yeah and waco oh, crazy too but Waco is interesting for another reason, too, because obviously the cult itself, the Branch Davidians, um, you know, are, are pretty wild. But uh, the ATFs 
responsibility oh, in it yeah. as well is is such a big part of oh yeah like how how the how the civilized folks reacted in that moment um, mm-hmm. was maybe a little a little uh, out of character or overboard and kind of added to everything. I feel like that makes that unique. Makes that unique, and you can also see it's like okay, well, I mean, me opinions vary, but I'm totally under the opinion that yeah, that was a total show of power that like blew up in their face yeah they yeah. did not yeah. expect that they did happen. not expect no no no, no. That. they it's thought like they were going to go in and take those guns and get out yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it's like you know that that's just that one compound <laughs> right what's gonna happen what's gonna do they really think they're gonna start doing that like city to city yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well and that gosh we could talk about the oh, amount yeah. of cult content we've consumed Um, but I think another thing that's really scary, we were talking before about, you know, cults are so scary because, you know, the, the average person, the us could, can get sucked into that, you know, can, uh, have that buy-in, but like, um, wild, wild country. What is that group called? Uh, they were on Rajneesh Puram was the society. Yeah. And when you're first watching that documentary and learning about them, they kind of create this really beautiful society where they're trading work to build this community. There's architects, there's doctors, like everyone's using their skills to create this ideal community. And then naturally like absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. The the head of it, you know, takes advantage. And then there's just so many questionable elements there. But at first you're buying in, you're like, yeah, this seems like a utopia. This seems successful. Well, well, that's the thing about the cults. Again, that's so fascinating. It's like, when, when does the utopia turn into a dystopia? And I I can only imagine when you're in it, that line is even more blurred and you're like, wait a minute, this started out that we were actually living in this egalitarian Mm -hmm. socialist society where everybody's contributing and everybody's getting something out of it. And now, at least in Rajneesh Purim's case, we're drugging houseless folks and bringing yes. them in. We're poisoning in order to salad bars. Yeah. Steal the vote. Yeah. 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 Steal like, the vote. Yeah, when did that right. happen? When that. did that happen? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's like when you start, uh, you know, the road to ruin is paved with the best intentions all the time. Yeah. Uh, but when you start, when you start realizing you have power now and you become conscious of that, it's like, oh, well, yeah, okay. Then you start actually, you know, whoever the person is starts thinking they're bigger than the idea. Yes. Yeah. And then that's it. It's all. It's all it takes. Yeah. I mean, some of these cults, I'm reading. I'm like, oh man, that sounds really nice. <laughs> like even I wouldn't go as far. I wouldn't go as far as to call it a cult. It has some aspects of a cult, but uh, the um, the anarchists was a documentary I watched last year. About like yes. the first starters of like Bitcoin and yes. why they wanted to do Bitcoin. Yes, That's yes, a yes. really yeah. Check that out too. The whole point of why they wanted to do Bitcoin is because they felt like they were, you know, slaves to the American currency system, which in a way you kind of are. So right. It's like, All right. Well, we'll start our own little society yeah. with our own currency. And be free of it because we're not all about that. We just want to have a good life and raise kids. And like you said, the best, the best intentions, then more people get in and then more people mm-hmm. start the people, oh, we can make money. They learn how to hack the system. They learn how to hack, hack the system. And like you said, yeah, money and power. And okay, well, 
this isn't the idea of like being free. We're being we're anarchists. We want to be free of the system. Yeah. You're just creating another a system. whole other but one. This is making me realize too that cults fill in gaps in society, right? Cults often uh, folks who feel like they are thrown away or they are yeah. invisible to society. So you know, slightly unpo unpopular opinion, but like in a sense, we all kind of bear responsibility for folks getting sucked into these cults because Absolutely. If, if, if we did live in this utopian society where everyone was cared for, everybody felt important, everybody got what they needed, there wouldn't be the need for groups like this. Yeah. There wouldn't be a need to break away from the system, but and there are so things common. wrong in the society we live in. There exactly. are people who fall through the cracks. If you really felt like, hey, I'm getting, I'm getting something back for what yeah. I'm putting in and I can rest easy knowing that but like you said you don't feel like that you feel like you're putting especially you know in society today where everything's so much harder to do financially yeah. you're putting so much in you feel like you get so little back yeah and then there's and then there's someone who looks you in the eye and says you're special yeah you're and you have something really, to contribute and you have something to contribute that's that's really yeah. hard to, to turn down especially when you feel like society in general is telling you the opposite you're worthless you don't matter yeah, it's 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 yeah. intoxicating. I, I mean, the the per to me the most recent cult perfect example of that is what's the uh, was it Keith Raniere? Oh, oh yeah. Nexium. Nexium. Yeah. yeah. Now, now you're talking because now we might be whether you realize it or not, we're talking about our next film. Well, I wanted to bring that <laughs> up. I wasn't too sure. I wasn't sure if that have was to a unpack. Set. I wasn't sure if that was a good setup yeah. for that. We spike. have to unpack Nexium because. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Oh sure. yeah. <laughs> You talk about the most like okay, so you talk yeah. about especially with the um considering what that cult's about, we're still in like the time of like Me Too and stuff like yes, that. Yes, yes. Here we are. A sex cult run by this guy who yeah. same thing. And when I when I listen to his rhetoric, he's to me, he's like, Okay, I know how to use terminology to make people feel important and special. Yes. And he knows how to that guy knows how to sell it. I mean, you talk about Charisma, uh, super charismatic, uh, very smart, and very, very smart. Uh, emotionally intelligent. Yes. Highly, 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 highly emotionally intelligent. intelligent. I mean, if he was, uh, you imagine that guy was really working for the CIA. <laughs> All right, put those powers elsewhere. But he's a narcissist, yeah, so exactly. he can't help but you know form this attention circle around himself and. Oh, it's so fascinating. So Nexium pulls in a lot of actors, which um, Matt's an actor and I did go to acting school. So we really like relate to that. And so when you start to hear, you know, the things that he's saying at first and the kind of workshops that they're setting up for self-development and self-actualization, you're like, yes, yes, this is their, they're having these really intense conversations and talking about things that have affected them in their lives and getting to the root of of trauma, but then it starts to turn, especially when Keith Raniere starts um, putting a hierarchy uh, within genders. He just goes off on tangents about yeah. women and their place in society and um, and how they're weaker than men and they don't have the same skills. And you're like, what's going well, and, on? And when he starts sleeping with literally everybody. Well, all of them. Yeah. But also, like, uh, uh, Nexium has fascinated us uh, among the cults for many reasons. Um, but one is uh, similar to uh, Rajneesh Puram. At first you hear the things that they're talking about and you're like, yeah, man, sign me up. This sounds like it's about yeah. self-empowerment and 
and releasing fear and owning up. And, yeah. and it's also really reflective of theater school. We both went to theater school and some of the literally things they were doing and talking about, you're like, I've done that. Or I've had my version of that conversation. Yeah. Um, so it's it's familiar in a really scary way. But I think the thing uh, that, that really struck the both of us is how many powerful, highly intelligent, successful women yeah. get sucked into that group. And it kind of um, uh, bucked one's expectations of who gets sucked into a cult. Yeah. I yeah. feel like that really sets Nexium apart. Well, because you look at Heaven's Gate and it does seem like a lot of like societal outcasts. Correct. And then you look at Nexium and it's these people who have fortunes and are mm -hmm. successful businesswomen and actresses with successful resumes, you know, uh, tight knit families yeah. that yeah. are are happy in in their lives and, and then their, their entire family dynamic gets pulled apart. Yeah. Who, uh... I believe the one, uh, the one young lady, like her own family, kind of sold her yes. down the river for Daniela. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. They were I like, mean, "Yeah, just go stay with Keith," and then she yeah. ended up in a room for like two years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you said, that's the the thing with cults, especially that cult. Successful people not only joined but sought out that cult and funded yeah. it and funded it. Yeah, and funded it. it could not have happened. Yeah, that's that's the other thing about cults too, right? It couldn't have happened just with Keith Raniere. Oh no, and I, I yeah. think that's it the takes sad... these other folks to build out the society. I think that's the other sad part about it too. When you see like kind of like his ring of who he put in place yeah. to build and enforce the rules of that sex cult, it's like not only is it women, but he's using. I mean, other women are helping victimize Correct. other women yes. for the sake of this one guy. So so. I feel like now we are getting into it. So yeah, our next our next film that we're working on is Clifton Park, and it is uh, was was um, we'd been wanting to explore uh, the idea of cults and Nexium in particular, but we weren't sure how to get into it. But uh, we found the most fascinating person to us was Allison Mack, uh, who um, was Keith's right hand person in um, not Janess, but um, Doss in Doss. Uh, that female empowerment group. But um, something about Allison is just like what you were saying, this idea of like, was she a victim or was she a perpetrator? Can you be a victim and a perpetrator at the same time? How does one become a victim and a perpetrator? Did she cease being a victim when she was a perpetrator? Yeah. Just that yeah. really gray area of that that they got in and really wanting to kind of pick that apart. And, and I don't know, I feel like whenever we're working on a project, I'm always trying to find myself in a person so okay. like where do i see myself in keith where do i see myself in allison um and that started leading leading us starting on this project well i think uh going back to like your question about that about perpetrator victim i think absolutely i mean i think uh i mean you look at the systems and programs we have in place we have so many programs that like their design is to literally destroy and break down who you were and then remake into what this person wants you to be yeah, right the military yeah um, i mean yeah. you're don't you're, question <laughs> you literally you literally i want for the military torture might be the wrong word but i mean you're deprived of sleep you're deprived of this you're yeah. literally broken yeah. down that way oh, you're man, pliable you're, exactly yeah. you're broken down to this workable 
wad of clay that now they can remake into something else. But you know what's interesting? Exactly what he did. You're talking about the military. But I'm hearing it as our theater school. It's the yeah. same thing. Well, they like, the break thing. you down so that you could be molded. And rarely would you be comparing like theater kids and soldiers and it's cult just, members. But isn't that interesting? That it really but there's is this there's possible. this idea in theater school where yeah, you almost have to like you're 18 and you're supposed to emotionally kind of torture yourself publicly mm-hmm. in order to prove or show that you're capable of deep emotion and therefore can be cast in the big roles that everyone wants on the main stage. It's almost like a a trauma contest. It is. Who can have the biggest public trauma? Who can dig the deepest? And this is what we really dig into in our film, like just this idea of commitment, right? Any, at least in our community, in in the theater, in the entertainment uh, community, I feel like um, the metaphorical electric fence is, oh, what are you not committed? Oh, you don't want to do that thing? Oh, oh, is that person more committed than you yeah, are? Yeah, right. Think, I and then you as your bushy-eyed, bright, uh, bushy-tailed and bright-eyed young actor, you're like, no, no, no I'm committed. I'll, I'll, I'll do, do that it. thing that that other person won't do. And I can totally see that and hear that even not even being in film school. I mean, Eddie's kind of told me some stuff, too. I mean, I remember Eddie being, uh, I remember Eddie being in theater, like, very young and trying to get roles. You know, he was Christopher Robin or Peter Pan. Or <laughs> Peter Pan. Christopher Robin and uh, Wayne Winnie Poo. That was yeah. the first like big role I remember him getting. But yeah, it's kind of the same thing. Like you gotta, and it's exactly the same principle. It's like we gotta strip you down, yeah, and take away everything to be this person that we want you to be. And Keith was superb at doing that, and I think that's what he did to that to that girl. Yeah. Well, and Keith was an expert, so there were so many elements, especially with the women. Like it's really obvious when you watch things like The Bow or you do research on Nexium how he was manipulating the women around him, but everyone, he had them up at two or 3 AM playing volleyball in the yeah. middle of the night. And it's because like, he can't sleep, you know, he doesn't sleep. He needs attention. And so he's going to deprive everyone else of sleep, convince them all that you really, you don't really need sleep. Sleep is like a weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, and convince these women who were already tiny, skinny women that they needed to lose weight and that that would make them feel better. And now you've got this systemic eating disorder, you know, domino chain that's happening with this whole master slave complex with all these women. And so he just was truly an expert at, yeah, all of those things, eliminating sleep, uh, eliminating nutrition and a well-balanced meal and being, you know, fueled, cutting off people's family. Yeah, I was getting ready to say that too, cutting you off from uh, the people who could probably talk you out of it. Yeah, so one of um, his women was like his um, uh, his first kind of number one, her name was Pam, and um, she ended up getting cancer and passing away before um, Nexium, you know, before he was indicted. Uh, but I have a personal connection through a family member who was uh, roommates with her in college. And yeah, she wow. just... As soon as she joined, there was like no communication with her family. She was entirely cut off from them. And that that is what Heaven's Gate did. That's what all these cults did is convinced you, you know, everything you need is right here. And you you should get rid of all these distractions. These things yeah, are just going to distract you from your purpose. First stage of possession is isolation. Yeah. Well, well and, and this is a, a, an element to our, our latest uh, project that we haven't talked about yet, but maybe I can thread the needle here is, so uh, 
in 2012, I uh, co-founded a theater company in New York City called the Representatives. The Representatives. Yes. Where we uh, per- wrote and performed original plays in people's apartments, and admission was a bottle of wine, and we'd all drink the wine at a party afterwards and talk about the show. And we kind of became a bit of an underground theater sensation. Meredith and I met uh, uh, in that. And... Um, while I would not say, you see where I'm going with this, while I would not say <laughs> the representatives were a cult per se, um, looking back, um, I was one of two unquestioned leaders in this group with this die-hard following. And uh, my experience in that group really gives me empathy for cult members because uh, my artistic partner and I at the time really did feel like we were changing the world. And you were doing beautiful work. Yeah, we, we really did feel like, and so a lot of times those ends would justify means that I look back and, you know, while we never get, got anywhere near the, the literal horrors that were committed in Nexium, uh, there were absolute abuses of, of power. Um, looking back, there were absolutely like, you know, kind of romantic entanglements that you look back and go, oh, that was kind of a weird way that that started or would that have happened if I wasn't in that position of, of, of power? And so we, uh, and Marin also was instrumental in the uh, uh, end of that theater company in a good way. In a, in a good I had way. integrity. In a good way. <laughs> and the theater company fell apart. But so we had been wanting to, so similar, we'd been wanting to explore cults. We'd, we'd written a, a couple of different projects about cults, but we'd want to explore Nexium for a while. And we also wanted to process our individual and mutual experience, experience rather, with the representatives. Um, and so slowly but surely these ideas started to form together and we came up with this idea for this uh, film called Clifton Park, which is about this experimental theater company in New York called The Ambassadors, who is working on a play about Nexium. So they travel upstate for the weekend to hold a method acting retreat where they're going to stay in character for the entire weekend. Okay. Obviously things go horribly awry <laughs> and someone ends up dead. And the main character is this college student named Mari, who the ambassadors are her theater idols. And she has been awarded a spot in this method acting retreat. Okay. So this... the, the film is about this young woman escaping the cult of this theater company. This sounds amazing. Thank you. No bullshit. It sounds, that's, that's a great idea. It's a very original idea. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, you know... I can't like so. Do you have any? Uh, can you tell us when you might think it could be out or anything like that? Yeah, so we're filming in the fall, like October, November. We're in pre-production right now, um, doing things like locking in location, securing funding. Yeah, we down just our locked cast. in our location, so it's all going to take place in one location, and we just locked it down, which we're really excited about. Yeah, big props to Eddie's wife B for that. Yes, yes. Um, so we love B. Oh yeah, all, all the love to B and Eddie. But um, but yeah, so we would film it in the fall, which means we're probably looking at like a late spring turnaround time of the actual film. Then we start to put it through film festivals, which is like a year to two year long process before it's usually put given a home where it sits and it lives and yeah, people can go yeah. to watch it. And that's like what, like you, um, I guess we're fine, like distribution, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Find distribution or find like a, a site that will host it. Um, and a, a lot of those will do like revenue shares with the creators. 
Um, so stuff like that. So but... we're, we're super we're super stoked. We're at the beginning of a very long process. We we have we have our script. It's actually at a few different uh, screenplay competitions. What did we just do? Bl we just Blue... were a quarter finalist with Blue Cat screenplay competition, and we were a quarter finalist with the Screencraft Film Fund. Yeah. So there is a little bit of momentum behind this idea, and I think what really excites us is, um, again, we've been wanting to write about cults and about Nexium, but there's actually like so many wonderful projects right now about Nexium that we're like, honestly, what are we going to add to this? And we were, it took us a while to find what is an authentic angle from which we can speak to this, and you know, being able to speak about. Um, uh, how do I recognize this behavior in myself? How do I recognize this behavior in my own community um, in terms of abuse of power, sexual assault, and just the kind of, I don't know, underhanded goings on in the theater community, film community, theater school community. This gives us an opportunity to talk about that um, in kind of a horror film-esque kind of way because, you know, these women in real life, we're living through a yeah. real life horror film. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's a great idea. And I think like, even when you go and you watch, so even when you go and watch like shows like The Vow and stuff like that, I don't feel as a viewer, I don't feel they touch more or they don't touch enough on the actual people that fall victim to these cults. I mean, yeah, they go over them, but you don't really get like a, you don't really get like a, a sense of their death. Yeah. And to me, that's the most terrifying thing about cults is like these people, like, you know, the whole stereotype of very smart, successful people falling yeah. victim to this. And I think that's a great idea you guys are doing in a horror form. I think, uh, I think it's very fresh for the horror yeah. genre. Yeah. And, very, and I can't really wait to see it because horror needs, horror needs something new and fresh. You know? Yeah. Well, you, it's so funny. Like, uh, I'm I'm a sucker for a cerebral horror film like Ari Aster. Yeah. That's why we're talking about Midsummer. Um, Babadook's another one. I like yeah. It Get Follows. Some Get people out. don't like It Follows. I mean, Get, Get Out is super it cerebral. Follows. Yeah. It, it Follows. follows. It's so good. Yeah. Um, but but you have to wait like a year or more before the next one comes out. You know, mm -hmm. and then oh, we watched was it Smile? Yeah, that one was Smile. good too. See, I still have to watch that. Yeah, we liked it. Uh, maybe a little not so memorable because I honestly can't really remember what happened. I think you fell asleep. I probably did. <laughs> but, no um, offense to smile. No, it was a great. I'm just film. a rather tired person. But um, <laughs> but yeah, you feel it feels like you have to wait so long for that really like thoughtful, nuanced, cerebral horror film to come out, and so it's like we want more of that. We want to be making yes. this. Well, and I was thinking on the ride over here too, like like. Why is the horror genre so popular? You know what I mean? Like, why is it lasted so long? And at least my humble interpretation is, I think we as a society make horror films about things that haunt us as a society. Yeah. Or things that haunt us as individuals. And I could say, and you know this, um, oh, so we write together. Uh, often I'm the first kind of generator and Marin comes in and makes it better. Um, <laughs> but because I'm the generator, I have to kind of, think of like what's this idea I want to explore and often I'm exploring a feeling or an experience that I have not fully processed and that I'm really uncomfortable with. Absolutely. So our, our film uh, Keeper is about these two uh, adult orphan brothers. One of them has a traumatic brain injury and the other one has to become his caretaker. Um, and uh, when my uh, father passed away in 2018, um, I wasn't sure if I was going to become my younger brother, who has schizoaffective disorder, his caretaker. And so that was my way to kind of uh, process those difficult feelings. 
And again, we had a lot of these icky, weird, confusing feelings uh, about our time in the representatives. And, and just this gives us a chance to kind of explore that. But also, we recently kind of came up with this idea that Clifton Park is actually a film about gaslighting. It's a film about gaslighting and a film about resilience. And I think right now, whether you're talking about the Me Too movement, whether you're talking about Trump and his followers, yeah. this idea of gaslighting, this idea that facts don't matter anymore. Mm -hmm. What is a bigger horror film <laughs> than the idea that we can't agree on facts anymore? That is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Like It's like we're all living in the upside down. Mm -hmm. And so we always like to have kind of an answer to the why now. Why are we, you know, we could want to create this film, but honestly, we need audience members. Like, we don't exist without audience members. So why now is because I feel like we're living through this communal horror film where we're all being gaslit yes. every day. And so we wanted to create a film that gives us a space as viewers, as individuals to process what is it like to be powerless in this world? What is it like to be powerful in this yeah. world where we're constantly being gaslit? You know, a term I hear, this is very scary, and this kind of plays into what we're talking about. A term I hear a lot nowadays is like, another civil war. There's going to be a civil war. Oh, the civil war, blah, blah. And I'm kind of thinking, it's like, I don't really, I don't really think that people saying that term really know or picture what a 2023 20, or God forbid, you know, a modern day civil war of what it's going to look like. It's not going to be, well, we, this half of the country is going to fight this half of the country. Yeah, yeah it's not gonna, north and south. Yeah, and they're going to wear blue so you know who yeah, they exactly. are. And they're going to wear gray so you know who they are. No, it's, it's not, it's more just the, like you said, these tribal pockets of people who have this idea and do not want to risk destroying that framework by debating you they'd rather just get rid of you <laughs> yeah and i think that's more or less like what you're talking about like yeah this group versus this group versus this group all in this one place yeah. and it's just it's going to be chaos right and that's really well and it already scary. Is. it already is it already like and if you get like you said if you get on social media you can already see that yeah, yeah. And what's going to happen when that really plays out into the street so it's like how do, how do you what is the horror film you make for a society that is living through a horror film? I think you're on the right track. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, true. Where we were, I definitely where think we were you're on thinking. the right track. I mean, yeah. that, you know, a lot of these horror, I mean, I mean, Ari Aster making movies about, like, uh, about loss. Mm -hmm. anxiety, I mean, anxiety. Grief. That's a big grief. Yeah. That's a big, that's a huge fear that a lot of people, that's everyday life. Oh well, because everyone goes through it in their life everyone at goes, some yeah. point, you know. Um, One of the first films that we watched when we started dating was The Witch. Oh, I oh, love The Witch. Yeah. Yeah. I love that movie. I was recent, so I was talking Terrifying. Black Phallop. Black Phallop. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of our first couple inside jokes. That was one of our first, and then our first date was Parasite. Parasite. Which, I don't know, has horror elements to it it's as horror, well. Yeah, yeah. Horror, a horror element, and that's another thing, too, like class. Yeah, yeah, right? absolutely. Class kind of, to me, class fits in with cults. Yeah. yeah. You have enough high class, they think they're this group better than this other group. Well, yes. and they're running the world. And they're running the world. <laughs> Which makes Currently. Me think of Squid Game. 
Yes. Like, you know, I still haven't watched Squid Game. I'll watch oh, highly recommend. Oh, do it. Do it. Yeah? Pull the trigger. Yeah. yeah okay. It's worth, okay. It. it's worth it. There's a... So there's a movie. I don't know if you two have seen it. It's one of my favorite cult movies. It's called The Invitation. I think it came out in 2016 or And he was telling us about this, but we haven't... I, have. I don't think I've seen it. We'll happily take cult movie and or horror movie recommendations. Well, yeah. check that movie out. It's, uh, like I said, it's a guy... I won't give too much away, but a guy who has got a new girlfriend, he's got a new life, he had a real tough breakup, kind of, you know, set him down a beaten path. He meets this new girl, things are looking pretty good, and he gets this dinner invitation to go over and have dinner with her, his, his ex and her new life. And it's like, you know, he's kind of, he's kind of going just to kind of tell himself, like, hey, I this is a sign. I, I put, put this, this behind, behind me. me. Closure. Closure, exactly. Closure, and you can tell he even doesn't really want to do it. Like his new girlfriend's kind of like, you need mm. to do this. Yeah. You need to get past it. You need to kind of bury the hatchet. And he's just kind of like he still doesn't really want to let go. A little bit. He's nervous about it. But they go to this dinner invitation. Very good mood. Slow burn. Okay, cool. Okay. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I can't think believe it was I haven't seen that. For the time. Yeah. I wish I knew. I wish I knew the name of the guy who was the main star in it, but he's been in a lot. He shows up in a lot of stuff. He was uh, he was the boyfriend in Prometheus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can see his face. Yeah. I don't have he his name, shows, but... Yeah, he always shows up. What do you think is the... What do you think is the best cult movie thus far? Cult movie? Tied back to cults. Oh, I always fail at these. What is the best? What is your favorite? I fail at these questions. Well, give me give me some. Like, why can't I come up with cult movies? Okay, I'm gonna throw mine out there, and I think maybe we all might agree on it. Yeah. I'm gonna throw out the Wicker Man. Oh well, yes, yes, sure, sure, yeah. Not the brilliant remake of Nick Cage. <laughs> We're kidding. <laughs> We're kidding. Who's it in that original one? Christopher Lee? Yes. Yeah, that's Sir yeah, Christopher that's Lee. That's right. Yeah, Sir yeah. Christopher Lee. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> I think to me that's the... Uh, the OG. The OG, yeah. The OG Wicker Man, I think is the best. See, it's hard for me because, again, we we consume a lot of documentary uh, content as well, which we always joke because we're narrative filmmakers. and But we uh, consume like 90% documentary uh, content. Um, and I just keep on going back to this idea of, of um, watching... Uh, documentaries or docu-series on cults makes me feel like I'm watching a horror film. It makes oh, me feel yeah. like I'm watching a modern day or real life horror. So, so I, you know, sooner talk about, um, yeah, Wild Wild Country or uh, Holy Hell or um, The Family. Oh, The Family. Uh, is is a great cult docu- docu-series. Mm. Um, which I would consider all these horror, yeah, horror films yeah, as, yeah, well, yeah. as well. As well. Or obviously The Vow. Um, I mean, well. mine's obvious, but Midsummer. I love yeah, Midsummer. I mean, I mean, I just love Ari Aster as a filmmaker. I think he does brilliant, and the, and brilliant the, work. The acting in it is... Florence Pugh is the best actress. She just, like, deserves such a shout-out. I'm and just, like, holding space for her right now. And she's, 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 she's like, living th- through, like, a, a, a very well-deserved reign right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, I, and you know what? She's, uh... I, mean, I feel like she hasn't even really been doing it too long. I mean, she kind of really, she like, kind of came up in the last couple of years. Yeah. yeah. Like midsummer, I was like, ooh, 
Who's this? Yeah. She, there, there are those actors who I've always envied who feel like they can push a button and just all of this emotion. Whereas for me, that takes a lot of work. That well, takes a lot of work and we still don't know if it's going to come yeah. at the end. Yeah. Well, I but think, like, she's just, just so magical. Just her, yeah, like you said, her range. And I think, uh, like, I think she's in the new Dune movie coming out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You see that, you know, getting, you know, that's kind of off the top of our sci-fi. But, uh, I mean, I can't wait to see what she brings to that yeah. movie. The first half was really good. Um, and, yeah, you know what? So, she's actually in another horror movie called, uh, I think it's Malevolent. And I think I saw Malevolent first, mm. I've seen that. but I didn't put two and two together because she looks so, like she looks like different. Yeah, she looks different movies. in everything that she's yeah. in. So, but yeah, you know, I hope she, uh, I hope she like kind of doesn't say goodbye to the horror genre like a lot. Oh of yeah, just really start out in horror and, and then they go. I hope she kind of comes back. And they she's level up. I mean, even uh, Don't Worry, Darling had a bit of a horror. Oh yeah, element. thriller element, yeah, thriller element. yeah. or an occult, an occult element. Yeah, actually, yeah, I would say that's an a occult, occult, occult film as well. Yeah, you know, going back to, um, going kind of back to what we're talking about, the, uh, I feel like men are in kind of like, uh, there's a lot of men groups out there that are like really, you know, Andrew Tate, for example, mm-hmm. sucking these young men in who are very, you know, disenfranchised from society. They're not doing well with education mm-hmm. and stuff like that. They're perfect victims for these guys to like capitalize on. I saw a lot of that in Don't Worry Darling. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, totally. A big, big underlying tone in that film. Well, right. also because, uh, uh, you know, uh, as a man, uh, but as a progressive male, the society is going in the direction that I think is uh, wonderful that uh, folks who have been voiceless historically are being raised up, whether it's folks of color or women, uh, trans folk. Um, but I, I have empathy for the folks who were in power. It must be, change yeah. is hard. Yeah. Change is hard. And this goes back to the idea of people being susceptible when people are vulnerable and someone comes up to them and says, you're actually not the problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, those people are the problem. That's that's where that scary stuff happens, and where you can get sucked in because it's it's yeah. it's it's hard. Change is hard. Like, empathy. I absolutely agree, and I think uh, you you know you're talking about what you make a scary movie about today. I think one of the things is like that cult that's kind of waiting in the wings because all the elements that just make that something are there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you have this whole group of displaced young men yeah. who either are or really aren't and think they are. And you're right. Here's the right person telling them, hey, you're not the issue. It's all this going around. Like I do think there is a truth to that, you know, because I, but I think it's because today roles have changed so much in the mm. last like 30 years. Mm-hmm. But we don't understand what the new roles are right through this group like you know the role of a man back in the day was okay you're the sole provider right you're the sole this you're that da, 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 da. well obviously that's changed and it's changed for all the right reasons right you know, women are very successful minorities and people of color are very successful yeah. they're making real money now they're doing real things they don't have to well you be successful in your career well i don't right it's changed but there's old stigmas of the old role still like apply and they're still there. And it's like, well, we don't, 
we're not meeting that expectation now. Yeah. Even though it's there. So I do think there's an element of that. And that's why you have this group. It's like, okay, we're kind of lost. Yeah. And they're going to get the wrong leader. They, they yeah. already kind of saw that. We have trouble with ambiguity in our society. We have, tr we, we, uh, we're not taught how to say, I'm sorry. So we just avoid being wrong all the yes. time. And so that's well, well, I do have, have a little bit of uh, empathy for, for guys who are going through that. Uh, I think what I have more of is a, a hope that, um, folks can hold more ambiguity in their life. Folks can, uh, learn to be a bit more uncomfortable. I mean, we even got in a, a, a little argument on the way over here. I can't even remember about what, but I remember saying in, in the car, I remember saying, oh, that's right. I need to learn uh, as someone who a uh, straight, white, cisgendered male, that it's okay for me to accept someone's truth before I understand it. It's okay. Even though society is structured, so someone who looks and sounds like me I get to choose. No, I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to accept that. Yeah. I'm not going to accept this until I understand it. I think maybe maybe that's a more articulate version of what I tried to say 30 seconds ago. Even though I have empathy for uh, uh, these men who are going through this big power shift, my bigger hope is that we, because I'm a man as well, learn to ex listen to other people's truths and accept those truths even before we understand those truths. I, I agree with a level of that. I also, like, I think... At least I see it with America. I think American politics and people who follow politics, who choose leaders and stuff like that, like we can't, we can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Right. We can't hold two ideas at the same time. Like you can. Yeah. That's true. You can be on the side of women and men without. Right. You know what I mean? It's like without well, ostracizing like, one of the groups. Right, exactly. zero sum game. Correct. Right. Yes. Yeah. I can yes. be Agreed. like, hey, well, if I support men, I have to completely cut off my support. For yeah. Women. Right. Agreed. Agreed. Yes. And other and the other way, it's like you. But can... that's that lack of uh, ability to deal with ambiguity. Yeah. Like it's either this or that. Yeah. 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 And I think and that and I also think we're always looking for that, always looking for that one trick solution. Like mm -hmm. we've gotten. Yeah. We've got and not we like I'm talking more about like the leaders we choose. You're right. Saying. They've gotten so lazy with it's either like guns, for example. Like I don't, I don't know what to do about guns. Right. I don't really think anyone does know what to do about guns, but it's either guns or no guns. Yeah, it's got to be one or the other, and it's like, nah, it's a little bit more complicated. Though. Right, it's definitely complicated, and and you know, I mean. I do think we can get rid of weapons of war. I think that is oh, one yeah. step. I think we, I think one we step. Too. But, I think but we um, too. again, I... I empathize with the, the desire uh, or the need to protect. I, I, I understand that. Um, disagree with maybe uh, the means with which to do that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I, like, yeah, you definitely. We need hammers. <laughs> but you don't. And need... films. And films. We need, we need <laughs> hammers, but you don't need a sledgehammer to yeah. drive a drive. There you go. A right. Drive a nail through drywall. Yeah. Right. There you go. It's a, it's a little too powerful. Exactly. There yeah. And it's go. like if you disagree with that, well, you just hate hammers. You would take them all away. Now. Yeah. I just think you're saying. putting a hole in the drywall instead of putting the nail in the wall. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And it's like that's the way we are. It's like you can't. Well, you just hate hammers. You hate people who right. have hammers. It's like, it's not, no. 
But be, because we are, which our film is about in this kind of post-truth era where we can't agree on facts, um, there's always someone who's going to tell you what you want to hear, what makes you feel better. So mm-hmm. there's always going to mm-hmm. be someone in the back corners of social media saying like, yes, like, no, you should have the ultimate power and everyone else is disenfranchising you and we need to like level the playing field so that you can be comfortable in your life again. You're always going to find that. Yeah. So that that that's the that is the real horror we're living in right yeah. now. Yeah, there's always a war on somebody or something. It's always a war. It's yeah. Like, oh, that's just a, that's a war on progressives or it's a war right. on this and that. It's like, yeah, and it's like we're just you know, George Carlin said it. The older I get, the more George Carlin becomes a prophet. Not a <laughs> yeah. And he becomes, we're warlike people. It's always war on something. War on homelessness. Why are we having a war? Yeah. <laughs> Do we have to have a war about something? it? Yeah. Just put some structures in place. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, really. But you, you, you read my mind uh, about um, that this all being connected to. Uh, if we can't agree on facts, of course we're all always at each other's throats. Like that's like that's like the the thing that yeah. we could uh, agree on. But of course, like if we don't have that, there's going to be this like uh, neo tribalistic, uber tribalistic society um, that's always at at each other's throats. Exactly, and there's just going to be no balance of harmony ever. No. And it's like you need you need to work with people to get things done. And that's why it feels like nothing is getting done, at least at like a high level. Yeah. You know, it makes it does make me concerned that I have a half a fear that one day the purge might actually be a real thing that everyone will decide, you know what, the way that we handle this is we have 12 hours or 24 hours a year where everyone gets to do whatever they want. I'm like, great job bringing it back to horror. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Nice (laughs) callback. I think you're absolutely right. And I was saying that, I was thinking that like a couple of years ago. I'm like, man, watch, it's going to be, it's going to be the purge. Right. I would rather us just become a little bit more okay with being wrong. I, I would rather that yeah. as well than the purge. <laughs> I'm not saying the purge is the right way to go. I'm just saying like, yeah. people are so unreasonable now that that seems like unreasonable people could think they're making a reasonable decision somewhere down the line by instituting a purge. That and I think people have just gotten, like people in general, like society in general has just gotten like so lazy. Yeah. They would actually be like, well, you know, that's a lot easier. Yeah, it'd be easy to just set one day a year, all your semi-automatics can come out and you can do whatever you want. Yeah, you know, we can't build affordable housing here in San Francisco. What do we do? Yeah, the purge. Well, I saw this movie. <laughs> I saw this movie and it seemed to work for them. And they'll bring their own supplies. It'd be totally, you know, cost the city nothing. Yeah. Yeah, very, uh, very horrible. I've only seen the, I've only seen the first purge. I've never seen the other purges. I'm more of a good I've, I've seen some of the, the... I've seen one of them. I can't remember which one. Purge election day. I think maybe I, that is the one I've seen that one. Um, but, but yeah, and I, I mean, that's what we're, and we're new creators in the horror thriller Mm -hmm. genre. Our work previously has not, has not been in the genre, but, um, but we're so excited to approach it because we, we have been like uber consumers of, you know, whether it's documentary or more narrative, um, you know, horror and thriller films, like 
it, it's such an exciting way to reflect the society we live in with mm-hmm. these kinds of narratives and Jordan Peele's doing that right now. Oh my and, gosh, he's a master at that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and so, so we're really excited to bring our ability to translate our experiences as individuals in society to a compelling, tension-filled narrative that makes people really think about, you know, the real horrors that we're, we're experiencing yeah, the and real life horrors. And, and while, you know, we're certainly not arrogant enough to think that this film is going to solve all societal ills, um, uh, my answer, you're at film festivals and they always say, what do you want people to get out of this film? And whether we're creating a LGBTQ rom-com, which we just did, or a family drama, which we've done, or now a horror psychological thriller... Um, I always want people to know that they're not alone. And I, and I think really good art does that. And I think um, when we feel like we're alone, then we have nothing to lose. Yeah. Then we get into these tribalistic mentalities, this poverty mentality of it's a zero-sum game and when you win, I lose. Mm-hmm. But I think, feel like the more we remember we're not alone, the more we remember we're more similar than we are different, the harder it is to dehumanize each other. And ideally, that will help us get back on a more, I don't know, communal path. I couldn't agree more. And I think like being like being a horror fan for so long and like going to festivals and talking to talking to people about horror, like you realize it's a very it's a very close knit community horror yeah. fans are. So that's really great. You guys are con- both are contributing more to the horror genre. Yeah. It's yeah. exciting and intimidating because horror fans are the most horror yeah. fans. They will, they will let the you know. They're the most hardcore, they so. They will let you know. You know what, too? Like, even horror, like horror fans, at least from my experience, like, they're willing to give, I mean, independent filmmakers making horror movies, I think, get the best, hey, we're going to give your movie a chance. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Like, Agreed. The fans are like, you know what? You did so much to make this we're going to give it a shot at least watch it horror film horror film fans want something fresh whereas a lot of the main media right now wants another marvel film wants another recreation of full house or well i would would actually argue sorry to cut you off no i would argue in comparison to like uh sci-fi and fantasy fans i feel like often sci-fi and fantasy fans don't want things to change there's a lot of pushback When a new version of something, whereas I do feel the horror crowd in comparison is hungry for what's the latest version of this. What's the next take? Very open and hungry and passionate about pushing the form forward. And new voices, too. New voices, like you said, new voices, new content. And yeah, you know, nothing horror. I mean, obviously you got your slashers, you got your iconic stuff, but like the two of you are trying to do, nothing's more terrifying than, hey... Holding that looking glass up to that world you're living, yeah. like you look, holding that looking glass up and be like, oh wow, because that's nothing's. Uh, you don't see the big picture when you're up close. Exactly. Yeah, and then you get a chance to zoom out with these films. It's like, oh wow, yeah, this is fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, it's terrifying. And we're doing it to ourselves. You know, where Absolutely. were we complicit in the theater company, or you know, where were we? Uh, uh, contributing to unhelpful power dynamics. And so it's our, our way of processing too. Well, and this is a, is this line still in there? I don't know. We've gone through a, a series of cuts. So sometimes I can't remember what lines ended up in our film. But at one point there was uh, a line where my character, who's the director says, you know, if, if we 
play our cards right this weekend, then um, the audience will recognize themselves in every character in our play. And that's a little bit of a secret goal in this film, too, that, that as you're watching it, you're maybe recognizing yourself as perpetrator and victim at, at different points in your life. You're like, oh, at one point I was like the character of Mari, who is this, in our film, this young, eager uh, college student. Or, oh, I am like Sam, this manipulative uh, director. Or maybe I'm like Claire, who's this person in the middle who's just trying to keep the peace and then all of a sudden finds herself doing or saying things that maybe she wouldn't have otherwise done. So I feel like if, if we if we do our job correctly, <laughs> folks are watching the film and being like, oh gosh, that kind of reminds me of that one time. Now now I'm looking back on that experience a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, like that's, like I'm really, I, I really can't wait. I'll hook this off. Yeah. And this film sounds so good. really good. Yeah. As soon as they enter the house, the tension just like, yeah. Yeah. is. Yeah. I am that horror fan. Yeah. I am looking, you know, I am looking for something more. I am uh, chasing that dragon. Yeah. So to speak. I couldn't tell you the last. I mean, Midsommar was creepy. And that was 2019. I'm trying to think of the last. Kind of like blow your mind. Horror film. Blow your mind. Mm. Scare the shit out of yeah. you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think before, gosh, I think before Midsommar, I mean, Hereditary was really scary. I think that was uh, I think that was 2016, 2018 maybe. Uh, but I think the movie before that was probably Sinister. I don't know if you ever no, seen Sinister. Sinister. Yeah, 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 yeah. They say um, they say scientifically that's the scariest movie ever made. Wow. I wonder how they measure that. I guess they did like the um, amount of jump scares or yeah, pretty much. Hmm. And they did a or they measured oh like heart rate. They measured heart rate. Oh, yeah. Doing like a, you know so much. Hey, out of this pool of people who watch these movies, we tested their heart rate. Their heart rate stayed heightened mm. for this amount of time on average. Wow. With this film, and they deemed it scientifically sinister as the scariest movie ever made. Wow. From their, from their experiment. Yeah. So I'll have to find the, uh, the link. It was a, it was a thing I I a couple years ago. Check that out. Yeah, that cool. made me think of something that I'm particularly excited about in, in Clifton Park is... So Marin directs, we, we write them together. Marin directs all of our films and I have some sort of role, acting role in them. But uh, something that uh, I think you are particularly good at in all of our films, no matter what genre, is this building of this tension. And it just starts really small and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm talking about that happens in the rom-com we created too. That happens in the family drama. That will happen times a bazillion in Clifton Park. And I just can't wait to see how you you know, play with your palette of film colors in order to create this tension that, you know, again, if we play our cards right, is happening from the beginning of the film. And your heart rate is just like, slowly uh, increasing until you're screaming, you're like, get out of there, get out of there. See, that's, 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 she's good that's at that. You're really good at yeah, that. Yeah, that's like, that's what we're craving. That's yeah. what our fans yeah. are craving. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll watch the new Scream movie and I'm actually really excited for the new Evil Dead movie. Oh, yeah. I want, we're horror fans, but we want substance. You want substance, yeah. yeah. We want yeah. substance. We crave it. Yeah. Give it to us. We'll, we want an actual journey. We'll take any yeah. scare, but the substance is gratifying. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, yeah, we'll eat the McDonald's, but we want <laughs> the nice <laughs> we'll, we'll, yes. Yes. we'll start with the side of the scampi. Well, the things that you <laughs> can unpack psychologically and emotionally for hours after yeah. after you watch it it's like a meal it is you're chewing on it and you're mm. finding 
tastes and elements about it, even after you've watched it five or six or seven times. Yeah, I, th I think if, if we do it the way we want to do it, I think uh, Clifton Park will be a filet mignon with a side of McDonald's fries. <laughs> yeah. Because you got to have, those, have those fries, too. Well, they do have the best fries. <laughs> they do. It's true. It's I'm true. Not lie. They're not literally addicting. Is the, um, was, I believe it's, uh, is it One-Eyed Rabbit production company? Yeah. Is that going to be affiliated with this project? Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah One-Eyed Rabbit okay. is the company that we do all of our work through. Uh, what is it? One dash eyed rabbit.com yeah website o-n-e-dash-e-y-e-d-r-a-b-b-i-t.com yeah. -E -E yeah updates are always uh, on the website uh yeah one one eyed rabbit is is our company it's our little baby and and it's where how we how we birth all of our projects well we and that's why right. we've been just slowly approaching our first horror film clip the parks more of a thriller but um in that genre uh and our logo is this kind of like tattered uh, is Saturn a word? Yeah. Rabbit. And he's like, oh, you know, messed up. And he's this one eye is cut out and the other eye is like a little red dot, like a camera recording light. Um, and we call him Benny the Bunny. But it looks like a, a horror production company yeah, logo. Yeah. And we've been making these like family dramas. And so now we're like, so, so our we're logo's going to fit. Finally. We're finally going to make sense of our logo. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. People, people always ask, like, do you do horror? We're like, not yet. Not yet. Well. <laughs> we're on our way there. <laughs> Wait, have you seen, because if you haven't, you have to watch it, Hush? It's on Netflix? Yes. yes. Oh, okay, good, good, good. That's, uh, okay, I'm, that's one of my, I, I love him so much, but I can't think of his name. Mike, Mike Flanagan. Flanagan. Oh, love yeah. Mike Flanagan. We love Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan, and you're a big uh, Haunting Hill of Hill House. I love oh. the first season. Yeah. I love, I love uh, that. I mean, that was a great book, too. I love that, and he is getting ready to do series mm. Mm -hmm. and i think if anyone's gonna do it justice he will gonna be that i just hope amazon lets him do his do his thing yeah. yeah yeah right because so. if you let him fly he'll just take you on a ride oh i love mike flanagan that's a great movie oh well you were talking about the uh you were Add it to the list. So Doctor Sleep is the uh, sequel to The Shining. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Stephen King's mm -hmm. novel of uh, Danny Torrance old, older. Um, and, I mean, obviously the movie is different than the book. I've read the book, watched the movie. He kind of does it very much justice to where he keeps it as much like the book as he can, but it's actually like a sequel to the movie. Cool. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? He yeah, does it yeah. Very, he balances it very well because obviously in the book they don't, in the movie, they don't burn down these overlook like they right, do in the book. Right. So, yeah, definitely. All right. It. So, Doctor Sleep will watch. Doctor Sleep, not to give too much away, but he, there's a scene where he does the same camera angles and the nice. same music. Ooh. Oh, cool. So he's not. So he's not. He's stealing from Kubrick, but he's stealing from the best. Right. Right. Yeah, so right. He does the whole like camera so angle going in. Like, yeah. yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Definitely watch it. You two will love it, I think. Amazing. Flanagan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Hush is a great movie, y'all. So it's good. A, yeah. Very creative. Did you watch Midnight Mass? Yes. You did watch Midnight Mass. Yeah. 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 Also very good. Yeah. I mean, I'm still... Hill House that. season one is like... I could talk about for hours. Like, but... lo yeah. Loved Hill House, liked Midnight Mass. Yeah. Yeah. Love them both. But I mean, Hill House... 
I mean, that first season is so well is done. Episode seven Incredible. is that the one? Episode We've six. Watched? Oh, six. Excuse me. Episode six. The the one take. It's episode. like five takes. I think the whole episode ends up being maybe like eleven takes in the end, but, but it feels the bulk like of it is like big three take, takes. Yeah. Which also creates so tension. Good. So good. Creates tension. Yeah. Like uh, not a. Not a horror. Well, it is a horror movie, kind of, but not like your, you know, but nineteen seventeen horror movie made them. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just two hours of just. <laughs> yeah. Watching just movies like, a, like this. You're yeah. used to getting to cut away, so when you don't yeah. get that chance, it, yeah, you have to hold on to that tension. Ah, uh, yeah, skillful filmmakers. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, which. Are or will be following in the footsteps. <laughs> what are you two biggest uh, like influences in making your films as far as directing? Oh, that's a good question. What's my biggest influence? You know, it's funny. Uh, I'm gonna kind of have a cheater uh, answer. So, Mayor's the director, so I'll let you think on the directing influence. But I would say, as, as a writer, co writer. One of my big inf- biggest influences is my former artistic collaborator, Stan Richardson, who was the playwright that okay. I formed the representatives with. I mean, I spent 10 years having him write roles for me, and I didn't realize at the time I was kind of soaking in his writing style, the way he uh, structures things, the way he uses art to metabolize uh, his life in the world. So, so for me, I'd say that's Huge influence. my biggest influence would be Stan. Yeah. I want to say, like, if Greta Gerwig and Mike Flanagan had a filmmaking baby. Don't tell Noah Baumbach that. No, I won't tell Noah. It would be, that would be my That's a good, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Nice. Like Very nice. I like that. <laughs> I got to ask real quick, because you were, you made your uh, network debut on the blacklist. It's true. Playing Congressman Matt Spate. Spate. Yeah, it's yes. true. The Marvel movie, so the Marvel movies have fallen off for me. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, growing up being a huge Marvel comics fan, yeah. mostly for the writing and the stories and the yeah. art. But so, did you meet Ultron? I I <laughs> did not. Spader? No, I did. <laughs> uh, I I walked past an empty James Spader seat um, because the day you know when they film TV shows, they're just filming parts of it all at the same time mm-hmm. and so while while i was uh, uh spoiler alert while i was being murdered by a sex robot um <laughs> i think james spader was filming another scene in a in, like in a different uh, part of the studio i was like the, the, um, the marvel nerd in me yeah. but it was it was nice to at least be in the same series as such a great uh as james spader james spader greatest bad guy in the 80s <laughs> yeah <laughs> legend legend how was that experience like being on like a network like um it was it was wonderful like everybody was uh in, incredibly gracious uh the the stars of the show make the day players like myself feel really nice um the hair and makeup folks were incredible because i had to have a, um, a hand mark a hand mark bruise uh, created around me and so it's just show, shows like that are such well-oiled machines. Uh, mm-hmm. The director, um, whose name is escaping me right now, was was so wonderful. Uh, I mean, it was basically a non-speaking part. I was on it, I don't know, cumulatively for 30 seconds. But he was like, all right, so here's what's going on. And really, really talking to me, 
Like I was one of the stars of the show, which which just you know creates buy-in for everybody on set. Yeah. Um, it was a uh, an intimate scene um, between me and the actress playing the robot, and so when we actually filmed it, all the crew kind of left the the room. This was a really respectful uh, work environment too. So it was some really uh, uh, ideal situation for a network network debut. Very cool. Now we just hope uh, more and more of those happen. Bring us more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully that will happen. Yeah. And like I said, I'm very excited for this movie. You guys are making it. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. Thank you for letting us come on and oh, talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Yes. Like I said, please be regulars. Yeah, we'll come back. We love nerding out about horror. We'll have a whole Mike Flanagan episode. Yes. That would be fun. Yeah. After we watch oh, Doctor okay. Sleep. No, that's good. So. That's good. A Mike Flanagan episode. I yeah. I haven't done a watch party thing yet. I'm still very new to the to the podcast. And yeah. So like world and jumping in. Uh, but I would totally be open for Doctor Sleep watch party. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Or like you said, be Bo's afraid. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Bring it all. Done and done. Cool. Done and We're done. in. All right. About wraps it up. Thanks for joining us here at the Marvel Afar. We'll see you again next time. Woo. <laughs>